he's almost curled up like a an aardvark or something and like he could just not an aardvark what's the animal that curl up armadillo (laughs) and like he could just roll out because he's so he's so sort of spherical the aardvark was his demolition derby nickname Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 4 of All The Way Through, the podcast going through the Louis Theroux back catalogue to find out whether we love him as much as we thought we did. I am joined by Alex Watson, as always. Hello, Alex. Hello. You forgot to say your own name. Oh, yes. Which is Matthew Dunmiles. Yeah, that's important. We can do a bit of like the two Ronnies and say each other's names. It's a good night from me and it's a good night from him. Yeah. Okay, we'll work on that in the future. What is the topic of season two, episode four? I thought you'd be able to judge from my crash helmet and messy jeans. I feel like lots of people wear messy jeans in this. Messy as in you've just dropped your dinner on them or... Or some oils on there, not my spaghetti hoops. So why are you only wearing a crash helmet and a pair of dirty jeans? (laughs) Because it is the Demolition Derby. Hey, And for a pair of car nuts like us, this was the ultimate episode. I have to make the confession at first that I have never seen this episode because I think a part of me when I was younger saw it come up and just thought, nah, I've never had a provisional license. I have no interest in cars whatsoever. But... This was actually quite a fun journey. Journey, I see what you did there. Uh Have you ever driven a car, ever? Even when you weren't meant to, like when your friends were learning to drive or... I won't tell the police. This sounds weird now I say it, but I have drove a van in a field while I was sat on my granddad's friend's lap. (laughs) Are you okay? Do you need to talk about this traumatic experience? No, it, it was, uh, it was, I can't remember why, but Jack Furlong, may he rest in peace, the lovely man, sat me on his lap and I drove around a field. I remember there being lots of cow pats. Maybe not that dissimilar to Demolition Derby, I guess. I wonder how all these guys started out. I bet they've been driving since they were like nine or something ridiculous. Dodging cow pats. Yeah. Well, I feel like I'm maybe similar to Louis in that I like to drive a car, but probably within the rules of the road. I'm not sure how I would feel about the idea of driving a car repeatedly into other cars, but I could get into it. I wondered what the origins were of the Demolition Derby. So I looked into this and there is an amazing article by J.C. Hallman. And he wrote, What Demolition Derby Reveals About Small Town Politics and the Trump Apocalypse. This is for a publication called The Pacific Standard in 2018. But he goes in a bit about how it was started. So apparently the myth around it is in 1958, there was a guy who was stock car driving in Long Island called Lawrence Mendelssohn. So he flips his car and ends up 12 rows into an empty grandstand. And so while he suspended upside down he noticed that the crowd that were watching this were going absolutely crazy for the fact that he had flipped his car and nearly died and he thought this is what people are actually paying to see they're not here to see the racing they're here to see the crashes he then started the first demolition derby I just feel like we should say at this point that for any American listeners who might be getting confused, in the UK we say Derby, even though it's spelt Derby. So we'll probably switch between that quite a bit in this episode. (laughs) And it'll annoy everyone, I'm sure. I am from the Midlands, and so Derby is a town in the East Midlands, hence why I keep saying Demolition Derby. 
So apparently the home of Demolition Derby is Michigan, which is also the home of America's car industry. And we join Louis driving in Michigan in this episode in his soccer mom van. It's like the most sensible vehicle you could ever find driving in the 10 and 2 position. Keeping it safe. And he says that Michigan's home to Demolition Derby culture and he wants to find out more about it. So to find out, the first person that he meets up with is a guy called John Lipker, who apparently is an ice delivery man. They don't go any more into that. That's just his job. Ice delivery man. What a job title. He could be a hitman. I mean, I don't know. Is that He could be a drug dealer. Fear not. I did. We will talk about this later. I did find... John Lipker's business. Oh, really? I decided that John Lipker kind of has Gene Wilder vibes. Oh, yeah, I totally get that because he has these very intense blue piercing eyes. He has a mustache and a mullet. He's rocking both. And he's just got a very sunny disposition. Yeah, he seems like he could own a chocolate factory and drown children in big rivers of chocolate as well. Not really, that's not true. Or deliver the ice to the chocolate factory. When Louis gets to John's place, John's sitting in what looks like a completely wrecked car. Like it could have been burnt out and then left to rust for about 10 years. But it works. It's a working car. And Louis's going to climb into the car with him. And he climbs in through the window like they do in Dukes of Hazard. Kind of like they do in Dukes of Hazard. I mean, he mentions Dukes of Hazard and the way that they jump through the window, but then kind of gangly steps through one leg at a time. Folds himself up like a bit of paper. And John says, You know, it's been years since I had somebody with guts enough to ride in here with me. Yeah, which is no surprise. It looks like something that's been destroyed on Robot Wars. And it's so noisy as well. He kind of revs the engine and makes a big show and Louis's got his hands over his ears. This is all before we've even established what Demolition Derby is. So Louis, over the noise, asks, what is it? Is it a race? And basically the premise is you smash the other cars and the last car standing or the last car moving, as we later find out, is the car that wins. There's no track. It's just cars hitting each other. John says he used to race as well before moving into this. And it just wasn't as much fun as hitting other cars. No. So they put helmets on. Louis asks if they can hit the helmets off each other to feel like maybe what it would be like to get hit by another car. So they start doing that for quite a while louis says harder (laughs) it's very much like that scene in the simpsons where homer and bart bash heads while they have tin pans on their head it always makes me laugh how much louis enjoys things like this and just encourages it to keep going for longer than is comfortable he does the butting heads thing on several occasions it's almost like an inner frat boy or something that's trying to get out yeah or trying to ingratiate himself with the frat boys Louis says to John that it sounds quite frightening what he's describing. And John says he's never scared in the car. He's never been scared and he'll never get scared. I don't know. I don't buy it. He sticks by this. This kind of is John's mantra. He says, if you're frightened, don't even try. A scared person isn't going to be a good driver. And this is a conversation that comes up with a few different people throughout. Louis kind of repeats people's mantras to other people to see whether they agree with them throughout this, which is really interesting. But it's quite funny that Louis instantly is frightened. You do wonder if he might be too much of an overthinker to get in with this very instinctual activity. So many people do it. And from what we learn, there's not that much risk. But yeah, Louis is very scared of it. So then they go over to John's trophy cabinet, which seems to be more of a place in his garage with a few of them scattered around. It's the floor. They're on the ground. Good place to keep your trophies. But he has lots of trophies. And Louis says, What are they made out of? That's like a heavier marble and simulated. This is wood here. Is that that's simulated marble? Yeah. yeah. So they're plastic? Basically, yes. Yeah. Most of them, yes. To me, they're not. What are they made out of to you? Gold. 
I thought it was weird that Louis made a big deal about what they were made out of. I didn't know if he was sort of trying to say that it was a bit crap because they were plastic or whatever. I feel like it was just generally trying to make small talk <laughs> with someone. It's the kind of question you would ask when seeing loads of trophies. True. And the sort of awkward small talk vibe continues when John is trying to get Louis to understand why he loves Demolition Derby so much. And he tries to relate it to Louis's hobby. So he says, do you play basketball? Do you like racquetball? Or And he lists all these different sports. And Louis's like, well, no, no. He says, okay, well, what's your hobby? And Louis says that he likes reading. And then John tries to directly compare smashing your car repeatedly into another car with reading a good book. He uses the phrase, When you accomplish a nice novel, yeah. don't you think back about it for a minute and think of... Uh, relish the... it? Yeah, you relish it, there you it. go. Sure, sure. savour it that yeah. way. And that's how I am going to describe whenever I finish a book from now on. I have accomplished a nice novel. It's interesting that he starts with basketball with Louis. Because he's tall, do you think? That big gangly build, yeah. He probably would be all right at basketball. He can run fast, as we know from past episodes when he's outrunning the police. Or the Area 51 guards. Yeah, that's true. But he's chosen reading and this is his passion. And he's accomplishing novels on a regular basis. It's the night before a big derby for John, so he's getting ready for that, which is why Louis is there with him. And they go to his garage to sort of get his car ready. So basically these cars, if they don't get completely wrecked to the point where they have to have the engine taken out and put into a different body of a car, then they basically need all the extra bits put on. At this stage, they're adding a new bonnet onto the car. And John's trying to get Louis to help him, and Louis is just really struggling. It's the most we've seen him shirk any kind of handyman duties. There's a really funny bit with this where if you have the captions on on the BBC it says Louis puffs with effort as he is trying to help John. John has asked for muscle power and Louis has been found lacking. I've wrote down Louis is incredibly Mr. Beanie in these situations. <laughs> he really is. John doesn't have any patience for it. He just gets someone else to come and help. Says, I'll go and show him how to do it. And Louis is actually quite glad to not have to do it anymore, I think. Louis says, how do you do this on your own? And John says, determination, Louis, determination. But then he says, actually, I use a broom <laughs> to prop it up. But that broom is gold to him. Louis really hamming up his useless nerd character here, I think, like more so than normal. I think he's still quite offended that John said that the only thing that he was good for was reading books. And he asks how John thinks he'll react when he sees the Demolition Derby in person. And John says he thinks that he'll walk away. He thinks that he just won't be able to deal with it at all. Won't be a fan. John describes it using the word gruesome. Which is quite extreme. And we do see the Demolition Derbies coming up. And they are intense, but... Gruesome is not a word I would go to. Yeah, there are no gory, grisly bits where there. But I suppose there is the potential for that, maybe. I'm sure it's happened. There must have been some horrible things that have happened. So Louis gets maybe slightly defensive here and says, well, you know, I do like driving. I can drive a car. I like driving. Yeah, don't we know it? <laughs> We've seen him drive many a time. But John says, if he's out driving and there's someone overtaking him, what is your instinct? Is it to overtake the guy? Or is it to run him off the road? And Louis says, well, obviously to overtake him. And John says, unless you want to run him off the road, then it doesn't count. You're not the right kind of person to do Demolition Derby. How does John get anywhere? It's a little bit unhinged, really, <laughs> that response. That's extreme. That's very extreme. You see him get quite stressed, but he's got a pretty calm level exterior as well. His whole attitude is very zen. There's occasional moments where 
we see frustration. But overall, this guy is like a calm ocean. I've never seen someone who just emits this kind of calm vibe, but then talks about the fact that he likes gruesome action and wants to plow people off the road. He'd remain very calm while he made you drive off a cliff next to him. It's a full family affair for John as well. He gets his wife and their little kids to come and help with doing up his car. And there's spray painting going on and soldering going on. This is all the night before the race. So it's not that much time. And we meet Bob, who is John's friend, I guess. But he's sort of in the pit with him, fixing his car and helping to make his car run well. And Bob seems like a cool guy. I quite like him. Bob's very nice. John kind of opens Louis up for some ribbing from Bob and says, this guy, he likes his reading. He's a bit of a bookworm. And Bob... Bob says, Well, ain't nothing wrong with reading because usually you learn quite a bit through reading. Don't you worry, Louis. Bob's on your side. Bob has this kind of what I describe as a mod hick look. He's got very straight, almost like bowl cutty hair, but then a check shirt and dungarees. He wouldn't have looked out of place at an indie disco in about 2006. Exactly. But yeah, he seems like a nice guy. And John's still kind of teasing Louis about being a bookworm and Bob defends him. Bob does say he doesn't think Louis the type to take to Demolition Derby, just looking at him. And Louis says, well, it sounds like that's a little bit offensive, but what do you mean by that? Bob says, no, no, don't, don't take me wrong there. I'd tell yeah. you if I was insulting you. Which is a funny thing to say. I think Bob and John and the family are very plain speaking. If they didn't like Louis, I think Louis would know it very quickly, but they really warm to him and it feels like he's instantly quite in with them, which is really, really nice. It does seem like quite a friendly sport in a way but maybe because you don't see people who are directly competing with each other yeah no one actually in this episode gives louis the cold shoulder or is overly aggressive there is ribbing but it's all done in a friendly manner maybe because they've been doing this for such a long time since they were teenagers i mean all these guys are in their at least late 30s i would say I don't know. They could be any age. They could be 22 and just have a really tough paper round smashing into other paper boys. I would assume that they are at least 30. But it's almost like a sort of high school teenage vibe. Like you can guess that they've been doing this for a long time. But Louis says that he feels out of his depth and it's getting late. And he says, guys, I'm getting a bit tired. I'm going to head back now. And John kind of laughs at him. John says, well, I'll be here till late. I'll probably be here until about four o'clock. I guess meaning 4 a.m. I hope 4 a.m. I hope Louis wasn't tired about 2.30 <laughs> in the afternoon. He's had a big lunch. <laughs> He's going to go for a nap. I think John's going to finish his car and then go and help someone else with their car. So he plans to be working on it till the small hours. And then he's going to get up and do the race the next day. So obviously very passionate about this. I mean, it's not his day job. He keeps paying the bills by delivering his ice, but this is his passion. You can tell this from the way he talks about it and the way he acts. And we see that kind of more on the next scene, the big day. So we go back to John's house and it's the day of the race. As he mentioned earlier, this is a local race. So his family and friends are all going to be there. I thought this was interesting because usually we build a whole episode to like one of these really big events where something will go down or something will happen. I think there is a different timeline maybe where we stay with John and his family all the way up to the point where they raced. But obviously this is slightly different. And his car looks quite impressive. They've been working on it all night. I would hope it would look impressive. Yeah, but it was literally a burnout <laughs> shell when he was showing it to Louis before. The turnaround on these things is crazy. And the way that they talk about it as well, it's like, well, yeah, it's fine that it's wrecked because we'll just take the engine out and we'll put it in something else. And it's impressive, really, the amount of skill that it'd take to do that. And later, Louis really shows himself up that he has no skills whatsoever in mechanics. On the morning of this race, though, I thought it was interesting that Louis said that Liz, who's 
John's wife had warned him that John gets edgy before a race. So she'd kind of already said, oh, don't get upset if he's in a bad mood. Louis goes to try and speak to him. John is quite short, but not nasty. And he is asking him about how he slept the night before. And then Louis says, I'm trying to stay out of your way. John replies, that's a good man, which is a very diplomatic. Yes, please. Can you get out of my way? Please go away. Yeah. There seems to be something wrong with the car and John's stressing out about it. But Bob says, oh, it's a quick fix. It's fine. We can do it when we get to the race ground. Like, no problem. So, yeah, maybe John is just a bit of a stress head. And I guess you would be. He's going to go and hurl himself around inside a car. But it's not even that that seems to stress John out. It's just the desperation to win. I feel like his competitive element really kicks in here and you see that passion just take over him. I don't think he's worried about getting hurt or being smashed up. He just really wants to win. And it's funny that he says his car isn't as tough as some of the ones that he'll be competing with. So I don't know if that's him already making excuses in case he doesn't win or is that him setting it up so that when he does win, he can seem even more impressive. Maybe it's just a fact he's dealing with a car that he's literally put together the night before or maybe some of the guys are coming with stuff they've prepared a bit longer. True. They very quickly get the car all hooked up to the trailer and they just jump in and go and leave Louis just standing forlornly by himself. In a garden. They travel, presumably in the soccer mom van, to the race ground. I'm calling it a race ground. I mean, it's not a race, but that's where it's happening, right? Yeah. I don't know what the term for a derby ground is. The derby site. It's just that field that you drove a van in with your granddad's mate. (laughs) Maybe so. But... If it was, there was a reasonable crowd size here for a field in the middle of nowhere. There does seem to be quite a number of people here to see this event. It's a proper stadium type setup, isn't it? Outdoor stadium. Liz, John's wife, is quite nervous. And Louis says that he's getting the vibes from everyone else and he feels quite nervous too. And there are a lot of cars. I'm not sure how many, but maybe 10? I don't know whether this is the point where they explain this, but this is the first heat and then they go on to the next event, which is the main event once you qualify through this. So obviously this is just a warm-up round, but yeah, the nerves are kind of palpable. Did you hope John wins at this point? I know I did. I was worried he was going to get hurt. I think that's my inner catastrophist. Just thought they were building up to him breaking his neck or something. John doesn't make it through. (laughs) Which is quite dark, isn't it? They start and the cars do just drive into each other. It's pretty wild. It's loud and fast. And Louis is kind of distracting Liz, who's trying to cheer on John by saying, well, what are the rules? And she's kind of like, well, there aren't really any rules. But the rules seem to be you can't hit the driver's door with your car and you have to be hitting at all times or at least moving your car, I think. The first rule of Demolition Derby is you do not talk about Demolition Derby. (laughs) Especially not to BBC Two journalists. Well, BBC Two journalists do get a shout out because John's car, which we see from the position of the crowd, has Louis BBC Two written on the side of it. (laughs) I didn't notice that. It has Louis BBC Two written on the side and then Lipka excavating. We can dig it. Which I thought this is interesting because obviously we've been told that John is a nice delivery man. So I had a little look to see if I could find John's business. And it is Lipka's ice fuel and excavating business. Hang on. That's his business. So they deliver ice, but they also do excavations. Yeah, we can dig it. I like it. I don't know if it was his car, but I noticed one of them had someone and someone just married spray painted on it. Oh, that's quite nice. The messages on this are very Facebook statusy, aren't they? It turns out that in 2020, demolition derby car messages are still very Facebook statusy. Now it's all about politics. Matt spoke to Chris Marquardt, the host of a demolition derby podcast called Crash Course, to find out more about how the motorsport has moved on since the late 90s. 
and what it's like to be inside a derby car. My name's Chris Marquardt. I started Smashed Empire Media as Smashed Empire Films back in 2010. We were traveling around the Northeast filming demolition derbies and making DVDs. And as things continued to evolve and progress, we branched out, started doing door wraps and roof sign graphics and things of that nature around here. And in 2013, we launched Crash Course Podcast, which I think was the first demolition derby focused podcast that was coming out of FingerLakes1.com studios in Seneca Falls. From there, we started getting into live events. We've done some pay-per-views. We've done a bunch of free demolition derbies. We got into apparel with reckless abandoned designs the dvd company ended up kind of moving more into a production company as things changed and facebook live became more prominent we had derby inc magazine for a short run that was around for about five years and at present now i do a little bit of consulting for events we've worked on rc demolition derbies video game demolition derbies real world demolition derbies and we still have the podcast going on monday nights so is this something that's just been a part of your life forever or when did you first get involved This has been a part of my life for a long, long time. Initially, it wasn't even the Demolition Derby. The house that I'm in right now is four blocks from the fairgrounds. Where I grew up, I was four blocks the other way from the fairgrounds. So I could hear the cars running and everything. And it was like 1985 or 1986. My mom took me to the fair to see, not the Demolition Derby, but see my dad. My dad was the fire chief at the time. So we went there to see what he was doing in terms of standing on the fence post and making sure everybody stayed safe out there on the track. And and I fell in love with it. That was like Wednesday night. I could hear the cars on that Saturday. And I begged and begged and begged until somebody would bring me over there. My uncle brought me back on Saturday. And up until like 2005, 2006, I'd been at every one of the county fairs. And at one point, I spent a couple years as the announcer there. Have you ever competed in a Devolution Derby? <laughs> it is a, that's a story that's known pretty well over here. I've yeah, been in one car. <laughs> I've been in a car one time. I got in a truck with Jeremy Gully, who promotes spinning wheels demolition derbies out here. And the seat was broken in his Dodge pickup truck. So the track would slide back and forth. And the seatbelt didn't work right. So you had to rely on the slack to stop you and we went about a half track shot into the side of a, an Econoline van and the seat went flying forwards and my legs went flying up and I hit my shins on a four by four chunk of box tube and it split my leg open. I didn't get out of the car because I mean, let's face it, I'm not gonna be a sissy the first time in my car, right? But I pulled my pant leg up and I thought that there was a spot of oil on my pant leg and it turned out it was the blood that was running out of my shin. And when I pulled it up, I could look through the skin and the muscle on the outside and I saw the shin bone we finished second place. They ended up breaking the wheel off, and I went to the emergency room to get my legs stitched back up. But I haven't been back into a car since. And that didn't kill your love for this? No. No, I got everybody to leave me alone about getting in the car. I'm a lot better serving of the community being outside the car than in it. So in this documentary, we're seeing the Demolition Derby kind of culture as it was in 1999. Was this a golden era, or is it more popular now? Demolition Derby's had a couple of different golden eras, depending on who you talk to. The 80s were outstanding because cars were cheap. And there's 100 cars at every derby. And anybody that you talk to that has a county fair will tell you that that was the best time of their lives was the 80s and 90s because everybody had 100 cars and nobody has that anymore. But at that point, they were scrapping cars because it needed spark plug wires. The bumpers on some of these cars were just getting thrown away. And now they're being sold for $400, $500, $600. There's people that are making models of those bumpers that were disposable, 
replicating them, but using different materials and stronger materials. So, you know, you look at where things were in 1999, then you fast forward another 10 years to where things were in 2009, 2010, with some of the big money derbies that started cropping up, some of the development of Metal Mayhem to the point where it was paying big money. And from 2005 until maybe 2013, everybody in New York was really quick to write the eulogy for Demolition Derby. It was over. Cars were getting hard to find and this was going wrong and the builds were out of control and there was too many parts and it was too expensive and people were getting out of it and it just wasn't what it needed to be. But it never went away. It just evolved. So where we are now in terms of Demolition Derby is we're starting to see the swing back. It seems like every five years we have a reset. We get to stock like it was in 1985 and 1992 and 1999 and 2005 and 2010 and 2015. And here we go back to everybody wants to build stock because it's too heavy. It's too this. It's too expensive, whatever. But then they have all these parts that we can't use anymore. So let's add a little bit of this. Let's add a little bit of this. So then we get back into the full weld cars, like you see a Blizzard Bash or, or Bash for Cash or whatever. So the golden age... Again, it depends on what you like to see. If you like the heavy built cars, we're in a really good spot because necessity breeds innovation. Cars that were disposed of, that were trade collateral, that were garbage, that didn't mean anything, that were scrap bait, now they were available. They're still around. So those are the cars that everybody's starting to apply the build techniques to. The Crown Victorious. We were at Blizzard Bash one year and we saw a 2010 or 2011 car that was derbied. It had a different body on it, but the frame still, it had the build spec plate from 2010. And the techniques that they put into the Crown Victorias and the Lincolns and things like that, now they're starting to backwards apply it to the stuff like the Cadillacs, the Electric 225s, and some of the Rivieras and things like that that were from an older generation. And the metal was different then, so it makes those cars act differently. And it makes them viable and competitive. So I, I don't know if there's a real easy answer, I guess. What you see in Demolition Derby comes to what you want. If you want to go find something to complain about, you can go find something to complain about. If you want to find something that's an awesome hard-hitting derby where cars can last and last and last, they're out there. There's still stock shows where the cars are falling apart and blown to pieces, and that's what fans like to see. One of the main protagonists in this documentary is a guy called John Lipka. Is he a big deal in the scene? Is this someone who is well-known, or was he big in that particular area? There's like three tiers to Demolition Derby. There's the county fair, the regional, and there's the national shows. John's a guy who can win anytime he's given the opportunity to. And everybody's got that guy. You're visiting a shop and there's trophies on the wall. Everybody's got that guy. If you're up in Ontario, you think of Bobby Cousineau or Rick Clark. If you're in my part of New York, you think of Jake Doyle or Brett Relier. If you go out to Indiana and Illinois, that's Don Santel. There's somebody everywhere. And the nice part about this new national tier that has developed over the last probably 10 years or so is you get to see these layers overlap. And that's one of the things that's changed since like 1999 too, is the degree of professionalism that's out there. Like what Frankie Guy in Hardcore is doing in Pennsylvania right now with treating drivers respectfully and trying to make this a big deal and take away some of that stigma. And they've been doing a lot of good with it. A couple of years ago, Blizzard Bash, there was a demolition derby car on the cover of Speedway Magazine. It's a parts distributor. And that was such a big deal. It was a huge deal because it was finally a little bit of credit back to what everybody's been working for in terms of getting it up above the trench of the county fair. Are people making steady livings from Demolition Derby now? I don't know that there's any professional Demolition Derby drivers that just do that by themselves. It's ironic. I just saw a post today on Facebook for one of the drivers uh, a little bit west of me making the reference that the car counts keep going up and the pay keeps going down. The envelopes at the county fairs, there's horror stories all over the place where the envelope comes up light. And there's these stories from the Midwest of these gigantic shows where promoters have mishandled the money and they go to the end of the night and the promoter has to be escorted out by the police because he says, yeah, actually, we don't have any of the money that you just competed for. 
obviously the coronavirus pandemic has affected yeah. so many events, but how damaging has this been to the Demolition Derby as an event? We haven't been able to run in New York yet. Most of the East Coast is shut down, or at least in question. Ohio's in a situation right now where they cannot have a motorized grandstand event or grandstand event at all, I believe, at a county fair. But a county fairgrounds can have a motorized event so long as they stay below a particular threshold of people. So you've got county fairs that canceled in June that are thrashing and trying to put together a derby now just so that they can get that event to happen because it generates so much money. But the challenge that they're facing is once you bring in a promoter and you bring in the cars and the cars bring in the people that are working on the cars and your attendance is reduced so much, it might not be the boon that they expect it to be that it has been traditionally. The Midwest is in a little bit better spot. They've been busy. Urban Destruction was able to get in. Bash for Cash, unfortunately, was canceled. We're going to see an announcement this week regarding Blizzard Bash, what's going to happen with that one over in Kansas. Utah's been running. North Dakota and Montana, South Dakota. It's kind of like nothing ever happened up there. Their business as usual. Minnesota's had some troubles getting shows up and going. It's definitely had an impact, but we've also joked that if cars are as scarce as everybody has said that they are, we just add an extra year to the long-term life of Demolition Derby because nobody wrecked anything. The Montezuma County Fair, there's this article online about it. And it's talking about, we see in the documentary, people writing messages on their cars. This one included Trump 2020, This Ain't NASCAR, Stop BLM was another one. And someone else, a guy called Ted Neergaard, I think is his name, had a Confederate flag. And he said, I didn't even paint anything on the car last year, but this year I felt like I had to. Do you think that politics in the Demolition Derby has grown as a thing? Or is this a kind of one-off event? Or do you see this everywhere? It's not a one-off event. It's everywhere. It reaches far and wide. People have been motivated and things have been politicized. And I heard a reference from somebody outside the United States that said, if you stood in front of the people of the U.S. and said, I forbid you to stick a fork in a power outlet, that there would be a large population in the United States that would say, you can't tell me what to do, and they would go stick a fork in a power outlet. I don't know if it's the enjoyment of their liberties and freedom or if it's their own domestic arrogance. So it's, it's certainly a, a, a trying and divided time right now. <laughs> Those messages are going to keep popping up on cars, but if nothing else, one of the hallmarks of what we have in the United States is being able to speak on what you believe in and not have that censored. One of the elements that people overlook on that part is you have the right to say whatever you say. You are not, however, immune to the things that come as a result of it. My final question to you then, Chris, is how important is the Demolition Derby to small town American culture in 2020? Culturally, I think it's important because it's, it's keeping something going that's been there for a long time that's positive, I think. There's a business element to it, too, that a lot of the Demolition Derbies are what fuel the county fairs. When those grandstands are packed, that money gets spent again. Not so much in the purse the following year, but that's what pays for the rides. That's what pays for the insurance. That's what pays for all of the stuff for that to happen. And, you know, now you don't see kids getting out and working on engines anymore. The cars that are shipped from Detroit, the cars that are shipped from overseas, you can't work on the engine the same way. You need a computer. There's, there's so much more technology in it. It's not as simple as an old 350. It's just not the same. So by getting them involved, it gets them, gets them away from the computer. Something makes you sound like an old man. Oh my God. But gets people doing things with their hands that involves more than just their thumbs. 
as much as I was waiting for something bad to happen, nothing bad does happen. And John gets through to the feature. He's still moving his car by the end, which is what you need to do to win. Can I just say at this point, I have not been converted to a petrol head. The event itself, it is quite dull. Yeah. I mean, there's not much you can really do. It's just cars smashing into each other over and over again. Most of the time you just get trapped and then repeatedly hit by another car. There's not enough space to really get away or do anything. Sometimes one of them will drive up onto the other car. That's quite exciting. Not enough for me, I'm afraid. I'll stick to accomplishing novels with Louis. (laughs) Maybe you two could both do basketball just to try something new. And then read afterwards. Yeah. As a cool down. (laughs) So obviously after the first heat the cars are all in a pretty bad state and they're then meant to go on to the feature and hit each other again so the idea is that you take your car into the pit and try and fix it enough for it to last for the next round so bob's back and him and john are working on fixing the car and louis kind of does the classic louis of like were you scared how were you feeling and john who admittedly he's probably got a lot of adrenaline running through him right now stresses that he never has any fear he just gets mad which again is quite an unhinged thing to say (laughs) Yeah, that's like an action hero sort of line. But he does almost seem not quite engaged in the conversation. And this is something you see throughout. We meet other drivers and the conversations just after they race are slightly stilted because I feel like they're on this sort of manic trip. Every driver gets road rage to an extent, but it's a little bit odd to think of having a hobby where you do get that angry and you like enjoy getting that angry. There is this trend now where you see people who will go pay to smash up things in a room as some sort of like stress therapy. This has become more and more common and I feel like that's very accessible to everyday people now, whereas obviously this was just a small underground, very working class movement. And I suppose there is something in that feel of your whole life being restricted by the rules and the rules of the road, then free reign to smash what you want. Maybe there is something quite cathartic in that. How do you feel about those rooms where you go and smash things? It's not for me. Me neither. It makes me a bit sad. I do think about the cleaner who's got to make sure everything's all right afterwards. Yeah. Different people like different things, don't they? We are not demolition derby riders, clearly. Louis isn't either, I think. He says the feature was something else. We go into the feature and it is clearly next level. It's far faster. There are cars nearly tipping over. This is proper stuff. And there's also a commentator who's narrating over the action. At one point he says, you've got to smoke them, baby. Which, uh, you know, is a good line. And Liz, John's wife, is screaming i mean she's got the same sort of energy he does to this kind of thing and she's screaming kill him john while louis looks incredibly alarmed it's good to be a supportive partner but i don't know if having to scream kill him is necessarily what i'd want to do but she's into it she's really proud of him and excited so that's good John gets hit and his radiator goes up in smoke, which might be when the commentator says, you've got to smoke smoke him, baby. And it kind of for a second looks like it's going to be all over, but then he manages to win second place. Second place. How do you win second? Is it that you're the second last car to die? Yeah. Okay, okay. He claims that he's not upset. He's still happy to have won a trophy, but then he's quite annoyed. Apparently he's been ripped off with his winnings. This scene is so weird. They finish the race and then he goes to this place called the Photos Payoff to collect his winnings, which looks like if you were placed in a bet where you'd go. And then there's some sort of dispute about the payments. A woman behind the counter slams the money on the desk and John says, don't go slamming things around at me. That's no way to do business. And then Louis asking how he's done. There's kind of mixed figures. There's talk of 
$15, but then he says he gets $200 profit and he says he's been ripped off. Clearly not something he's doing for financial reward because where is it? For the time, the effort, the car parts that they had to get together, the driving there, the petrol, surely that is not anywhere near a profit. No, exactly. And like you say, I was confused about why it was $15 and then $200. Something weird is going on there. I kind of expected him to be really upset that he'd not come first, but he didn't seem to be that bothered. He seems quite exhilarated. And when Louis asked him what it was like out there, he says some of the drivers that were in the derby were out to hurt people, but he had great fun anyway. Yeah, he uses the phrase, they didn't care if they drove right through me. When you're out there, you feel like you could die. This is really serious. And no one would care if you did. And that's John who would drive anyone off the road for fun while he was out going to the supermarket. So you or I probably wouldn't do too well. Before they part ways after maybe a slightly disappointing end to the derby, Louis asked John for his best advice should he try his hand at driving a car in a derby. And John tells him to relax. Like a drunk driver in an accident, who gets hurt? Not the drunk driver. Questionable advice. Dark as hell, but not bad advice, I guess. Not inaccurate. Would you like to know if John continues in his quest as a demolition derby driver? Please, and please don't tell me that he breaks his neck in like the next derby that he does. Well, fast forward 10 years later to an article from the Ludington Daily News titled Lipka 2009 Derby Winner by a journalist called Melissa Kiefer. She says, Crowds packed the grandstand Saturday night for the last event of the Western Michigan Fair, the Demolition Derby. Winner John Lipka, who drove car number 92, took home $1,000, the biggest prize ever given at the event. So obviously John's starting to get his money but it's taken him literally a decade. He says, I am so happy. It was tough out there. I'm so glad for the crowd support and the support of my family and friends. Again, a very classic John elated comment. And it says, interestingly, last year, Lipka was king of the hill, earning the most points in figure eight off-road and main derbies and wanted a chance to get out again this year to win the Saturday Derby outright. So obviously he's won this very prestigious award within the industry in that time. And then another interesting detail is his wife, Liz, and two of their three sons, Mike and Kyle, were at the show and Kyle built the car for him. That's quite nice. Although he must be getting on a bit by now or by then. Well, yeah, exactly. This is 10 years later, so I'd love to know where John is now, whether he did retire. By this point, he'd won a Lifetime Achievement Award as well. Well, that's good. I'm glad he didn't die in a horrible, fiery accident. You say this in every documentary we watch. (laughs) Well, it could happen. Louis obviously already struggling with whether or not he is going to attempt to drive in a demolition derby. So he decides that he wants to speak to someone who's maybe slightly less all or nothing than John. And the guy that he goes to speak to is called Rick Arnold. He lives in Port Clinton in Ohio and he's part of the over 40 and having fun demolition derby team. Great name. I feel like he's got quite a Billy Bob Thornton vibe going on. Okay, if John Lipka is Gene Wilder, as you said, I said that Rick has a bit of a Charles Manson vibe. Yep, I can see that. He's got quite chiselled features. He's very rugged, quite handsome. But there is something in those eyes that say, I could tear a man limb from limb if I had to. Charles Manson played by Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, which would be a great film. Being in the over 40 and having fun derby team. Which is very Saga Holidays. That is a (laughs) slightly weird name for a team. 
they're in the car, Rick and Louie, and doing that very awkward one directly behind the other so that the camera can be in the passenger seat. And Louie's leaning over and Rick's first topic of conversation is to ask Louie, where do you put your thumbs when you're driving a car? And Louie really thinks about that one for quite a long time. But basically the point of it is that Rick wants to let Louie know that if you put your thumbs on the inside of the steering wheel during a demolition derby and the wheel spins, then you'll damage your thumbs. You'll get injured. You could break your thumbs essentially. Louis at one point when discussing where he has his hand positions says I have one hand resting on the window. Check this badass. He also, he does say I don't want to cause a crash but then reaches forward from the back seat to take the wheel in one hand while they're driving. I mean this is Ohio State. I feel like the rules don't apply in the same way. I don't know if you ever have nightmares where you're in a car and you can't drive but I have nightmares where I'm in a car that's moving and I'm sitting in the back seat and I have to climb into the front and it's exactly like that. (laughs) And Rick Arnold is there asking you about your thumbs. (laughs) Yeah. I've not got any thumbs. I can't properly control the car. That's not part of the dream before anyone reads into that. So once Louis had that important piece of information, they go to a junkyard with Rick and the rest of the over 40s. Right. Sorry. The rest of the other 40s in having for Derby team yeah. are the weirdest looking bunch of guys I've possibly ever seen. One looks like a really bad Walter White impersonator. He has the glasses, bald head and goatee, the black Harrington of Heisenberg fame. And then the other is just an elderly man with a moustache. Well, he's over 40. He counts. But they look like someone's characters on Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> I don't think I really thought about this until now, but the fact that Louis is... 28 maybe 29 and he's decided that the over 40s demolition derby team is where he should be such a nan kid (laughs) so they go to this scrapyard to look around for good cars that they could use to do the derby with and rick admits that he's been trying to win a feature for five years or the whole team has and they've not been successful yet and they lost every one last year he says so they've really been trying not a good year no And Louis surprised that Rick is into Demolition Derby. He says he doesn't seem aggressive. Rick seems deranged to me. There's something just very intense about Rick. Well, I think he proves it when he says, actually, it's not about being aggressive. It's more about when you're in the car and you stare down the guy in the car next to you. The way that he says that so calmly and just has this look in his eye, you're like, oh yeah, no, he's terrifying. (laughs) But then Louis himself tries to master the stare down. You can imagine how that goes. Not successfully. It's the most gormless face I think I've ever seen in my entire life. And I have a very gormless face. His eyes kind of expand and he looks like he's just heard what they've spent the BBC budget on. A tour bus for Al Sharpton? What were you thinking? I think we see like a diluted version of Rick's real stare down, which is terrifying and learned from Charles Manson, possibly. And again, just continuing with this slightly serial killery vibe, Rick says wherever he goes, he hears cars calling to him. This man is unstable. This is not how normal people think. But this is something I found so interesting. They're driving around in the Ohio countryside and Rick just spots a Chevrolet on the side of the highway that seems to be just totally abandoned. And Louis says, wouldn't it be shamed to smash up this car? And Rick's reply to that is, I'm going to recycle some Detroit metal. A car like this probably is about ready for recycling. 
And I just found it so interesting, this complete waste that there seems to have been with automobiles just scattered around everywhere. This is something you see a number of different locations, just cars totally abandoned. And going back to that article I read a bit from before from the guy called JC Holman, he was saying automobiles were once the bane of the recycling movement. And apparently in 1969, 70,000 cars were abandoned in New York City alone. And so since that, the board of people who oversee recycling and scrap iron and steel met and they came up with the car scrapping machine, which he quotes another journalist saying the single most important piece of recycling equipment ever made, because this was just a real epidemic in the States at the time. In New York, there's no room for cars as it is. Well, exactly. And then there were so many cars. Apparently, there was a thing in the 50s and 60s called Detroit Rip Rap where they literally used old abandoned cars and embedded them into the side of the rivers to try and stop erosion. So there's parts of America where you will go and see rivers and there'll just be old automobiles which are literally built into the banks because they just didn't know what to do with them. That's cool. It's crazy. I didn't realize that car crushers were so modern. Yeah, exactly. But also designed because they just had this serious problem, which was cars were everywhere and no one was doing anything with them. Yeah, it is nice to think that they're recycling them. But I think the way that Rick says it, when Louis says, wouldn't it be a shame to smash up a nice car like this? And Rick replies, it would almost be an honour. That's a man who lives on destruction, definitely. But then in the car, as much as we think that Rick is a scary person, Louis, like you said earlier, tells Rick John's view on everything, which is that he's not afraid when he's in the car. He doesn't feel fear. And Rick says he has fear and he thinks that John's either lying or crazy to say that he's not frightened when he's in the car. Serious trash talk from Rick there about John. Saying he doesn't have any respect for the game. But then who's got the most trophies? Well, we find out when we go to Rick's house and he has four trophies, but none of them are first place. But I do like that they make the trophies quite big, even when they're not first place. It's a little bit of certificate for taking part, isn't it, really? Yeah, but as someone who was really, really bad at sports day... I appreciate the taking part certificates. Okay, so as someone who was quite competitive with things like running and athletics at school, that would have killed me. (laughs) I'm interested to hear the idea of the people who get the taking part stickers being happy with the taking part stickers. Yeah, I was happy. I mean, I'm still slightly bitter that I got told I was on the netball team, but I was only ever in reserve and never actually got to play. Oh. If they'd given me a sticker, I might have been happier. I just wondered at this point, what did Rick do before and why did he find this so late in life? We don't even get told what he does as a job or anything. No, he just lives as a demolition derby Charles Manson. Did you find out anything about him or? Well, this is it. I had a deep dive for Rick Arnold. This man is just off the face of the earth. I could not find a single thing. So if you're listening out there, Rick, hello. I'm sorry for talking about how intensely scary you are. Please do get in touch. Unless you're mad at us then please don't. Please don't take my thumbs, Rick. Rick does say that he hopes Louis will compete in a derby. And when Louis again asks for his advice, which I quite like this, that Louis goes to everyone and says, what's your advice for me? Rick says, keep your eye on your opponents, which you would hope you would do if you were driving a car into them. Keep your thumbs out the wheel, the thumbs thing again. Thumbs. And I think he says, put your foot to the floor or something like that. So that's his advice. The thumbs is the main thing, I think, really. And the stair. We come back to the stair. Well, yeah, they have a final stair down before Louis leaves. And again, it feels a little bit like the butting heads with the helmet where he's sort of overdoing it because he enjoys the awkwardness of it. But it is slightly better. It's an improved stair. Maybe there's a little bit of sexual tension. You never know. 
You can write the, all the fan fiction you want to. Don't worry about that. <laughs> what happens in Port Clinton, Ohio stays in Port Clinton, Ohio. But Louis Theroux doesn't stay there because he's back in his mom van. Fantastic segue. And as he's driving to the Appalachian Mountains, he deliberates in the narration whether he should compete or not in Demolition Derby. Interestingly, about the Appalachian Mountains, this is where Dolly Parton's from. So this is like true country music territory where the term hillbilly originates from. And I feel like the characters that we meet here are living that vibe. The first guy that we meet is a guy called Kevin Hanna. And apparently he has a car to show Louis. He owns a junkyard and he retired from doing Demolition Derby himself. But I think he did it for 10 years or something pretty crazy like that. How would you describe his appearance? He's got a big old ginger beard and hair, baseball cap, those dirty jeans that you mentioned earlier on. He's not exactly a redneck, but yeah, he's got the kind of hillbilly trucker vibe about him. And I would say age-wise, he's, again, you're probably going to argue with me and say he's like 18, but I would say he's 30-ish, maybe a little older. People are very difficult to age in this one, I feel. Kevin has this junkyard, which he describes as his own piece of heaven, if you like this stuff. And this is a point where I thought, Everyone in this documentary seems incredibly comfortable in their own skin. No one is worried about being judged or what the media might think of them or how the camera being on them might affect their perceptions to other people. Everyone just seems very happy to be who they are, which is quite nice. Maybe the demolition derby is really the key to happiness. And again, we don't learn very much about Kevin's backstory. So I don't want to wax lyrical about him in case he's actually a neo-Nazi, but he seems like a really nice guy. And there isn't that moment with him where you realise that actually he's a bad person that has good things about them. Like He seems like a nice person. And he and Louis seem to bond quite quickly or get on very early on. They're talking about his demolition derby career and Louis says... (laughs) says to Kevin. But you look like you could take a pounding. I mean, you're a big guy. And Kevin says, Yeah, big guy's been too, though. Which was the name of one of the DVDs in the porn episode, I feel. <laughs> big guy's been too. <laughs> Not as good as big guy's been three, but it was a classic anyway. <laughs> Number seven was the really good one, though. Kevin says he retired two years ago, as you said, and his stats were that he was running 10 derbies a year, which was causing damage to his body. So clearly, there does come a point where the kind of aches and pains of this do become too much for people but i think this is the only point really where that gets brought up at all and it's very much glossed over and he's not struggling he's not got a bad back or any lasting injuries from what we can see so he's maybe just stopped before it got too much for him he's a bendy big guy still (laughs) he could take a pounding and he still can so kevin shows louis the car that he's picked out for him louis trying to sort of assert his dominance about knowing about cars now says has it got an engine and kevin says yeah it's got an engine and everything (laughs) These are the kind of questions I would ask. I would maybe mention something about the chassis, just because that's a good word to say. It's a four-door sedan. That's what I gathered, though. But more importantly, did you clock what Louis was wearing in this scene? Is it the orange shirt? It's the shopping channel shirt. Yeah, that's the second time we've seen it. Well, the third time. (laughs) I feel like it's always going to be a good scene when the shopping channel shirt turns up. Someone needs to rebuy him that shirt if he no longer has it in his wardrobe. I wish we could find out and get some to wear. That'll be my mission. Maybe we could make them. I'm not very good at sewing. I'll find someone who is. 
I know you're making fun of the BBC Two budget earlier, but this is really where it comes out. Yeah. Louis says, I like the car. I want to buy it. How much did you say? Was it $300? And Kevin says, yeah. And Louis's worried that Kevin's just being nice and he's fleecing him. And he says, well, you know, we're pretty well financed from the BBC. I don't want to rip you off. I do come from BBC Two. I'm fairly well financed. <laughs> What is this? So he says he'll throw in an extra 50. This is not the art of the deal. I've never heard such terrible negotiating. (laughs) So once he's got his car, he obviously needs to learn how to drive it. So Louis gets sent to meet up with Kevin's cousin, Stevie. And Stevie is a demolition derby driver. He's a bit younger than Kevin, so he's still going. And he opens the door and he's like my favourite person that's ever been in a Louis Theroux documentary, I think. Because Louis says, hi, are you Stevie? And Stevie says, yep, I'm Stevie. Can I come in? Sure, come on in. He's wearing a South Park t-shirt. He's got dyed blonde hair, a black goatee and a South Park t-shirt. Who's going to play Stevie in the film? I think it'd have to be Gary Oldman. I think this is a deep dive (laughs) Gary Oldman role. We might have to go back in time and get them from different eras. Stevie has this black goatee, but seems to be an eight-year-old boy. I imagine that he stuck this on before Louis turned up. He's so young. He is quite young. And he's also listening to blaring pop punk. I didn't quite catch what it was, but it sounded of like the Sum 41 era. Too early for that, actually. Maybe it's Green Day. He is very young and very kind of excitable. But he's ni- it's nice. Again, he-, he seems like a really nice guy and he's got a good attitude. So Louis gets straight to the business. Let's see your trophies. <laughs> he only judges a man on his trophy collection at this point. I hope he took this into his wider life and kept asking people to see their trophy cabinet wherever he went. But Stevie's is decorated. Let's say that. He has 12 trophies in 10 years. Did he start doing it when he was like five years old? He was still in utero by the looks of him. He's very decorated. I think this puts him better than Rick. Old sad loser Rick with his fear. But not quite as good as John. No fear John. He's not quite there yet. He does feel like one of those people that's just so kind of bouncy and boisterous that all the fear will just bounce off him. Like, he'll be okay. And again, Louis does that thing where he says, you don't seem like the type to do Demolition Derby. I think meaning that Stevie's a little bit on the weedy side. He's a smaller man. And fair enough, Stevie says, well, when you're inside the car, everybody's the same size. He says, I just don't get into fights back in the pits. I keep my mouth shut. I'm really interested to know how common that was, these fights back in the pits. Yeah, because I feel like John and to a certain extent Rick would probably fight you in the pit. Rick would pull your arms out of sockets. That's that's what Rick would do. (laughs) I feel like John would have Bob holding him back. Like, come on, man. None of Rick's crew could hold him back. That man is an animal. Again, sorry, Rick, if you're listening. Please don't be listening, Rick. The next scene is quite enjoyable, really, because I think Louis picks up on Stevie's fun, youthful vibe and gets into it. And they go outside and get into Stevie's car and they practice hitting another car. Louis's in the car, all bent up like a long boy, (laughs) really struggling to get in the car. But they're both kind of giggling and I think Stevie's going easy on him to an extent. He's reversing into this other car that's in the garden, but Louis's giggling and being like, oh, this is quite fun. And then later it changes his tune completely. Stevie asks Louis why he wants to do Demolition Derby, maybe sort of implying you also don't seem like the kind of guy that wants to do Demolition Derby. And Louis says that it feels like something that scares him, but it feels like a challenge. So that's why he thinks he should do it. Yeah, and then Louis tells Stevie about Rick's advice. He's kind of passing on these words of wisdom like a chain. 
Now that Louis has been in a car while someone else drives it, he needs to get his car done up. So there's a nice sort of little bit where him and Stevie and Kevin start working on Louis's car and Louis spends about 45 minutes trying to take the aerial off the front of it. While wearing what only can be described as gardening gloves. And Kevin looks incredibly unimpressed at how bad he is at doing it. I think Kevin and Stevie quite enjoy then getting Louis into a car and getting him used to getting hit by another car that someone's actually driving so kevin kind of puts his helmet back on and goes back into demolition derby and then louis drives his car and stevie's in the back giving him instructions i just have to talk about the conversation which happens before this which is louis is talking about his thin neck to which stevie in his best michael jackson tone says look how little i am but then he asks kevin to strangle him to put his hands around his neck and kevin's like no no i'm not doing that but louis makes him do it (laughs) and then kevin uses his big bunch of banana hands he's got the biggest hands i've ever seen and wraps them around louis's neck very odd the physical boundaries have been completely dropped by this point because Louis's so tall, he probably does have reasonably big hands. And there's that point where they put their hands next to each other and Louis looks like a small child next to Kevin. Yeah, Kevin is huge. A huge man. Huge man who can take a pounding, as we've already covered. <laughs> they decide that actually it's fine because Stevie's neck is just as small, if not smaller than Louis, so he'll be okay. They get in the cars and Louis, who can drive, and we've seen him drive many times, stalls the car on the first try, which is impressive. <laughs> Has to have Stevie remind him to take his foot off the clutch, which, again, is quite a rudimentary part of driving a car. And then Louis attempts to hit a car that's not moving and does the slowest, most tentative tap into a car you've ever, ever seen. And then Kevin, with no hesitation, just starts hitting his car pretty hard. <laughs> Then Louis, from the dashboard cam that they've set up, lets out a fucking hell and a shit afterwards. It's so good when he just swears. Is this the first time we've seen Louis swear on camera? I think like this it is. Because we had a crikey in series one, but I have not heard him drop an F-bomb so far. I was howling with laughter. I loved it. The fear in his eyes. I think he definitely has the fear. I don't think he can tell John that he's gotten over the fear. And Kevin seems to sense the blood in the water like a shark and is kind of intensely going after him and starts trash talking him saying, where did you learn how to drive? Walmart? Which I I don't particularly understand as an insult. Kevin's been driving inside supermarkets. Bad idea. He also shouts, my grandmother can hit harder. She can take a pounding too. Everybody's family seemed really into it. His grandma could be the best bloody demolition derby driver anyone's ever met. She could be king of the hill for all we know. Kevin kills Louis's car completely and they can't bring it back to life. So that means, as Stevie points out, that Kevin won the derby. And this is where we kind of assess Louis's reaction. There's a small pause and then from the dashboard camera, Louis says, that was excellent. And I wrote at this point, I was not surprised because this is a man that later rides with police in the middle of dangerous crime scenes and with people with guns and meets neo-Nazis and all sorts. So it's unsurprising that Louis would get some thrill out of the fear. I think that the dash cam as well helps. When we were watching the Demolition Derby from the outside and we were watching John in it, we were all a bit like, ooh, that looks terrifying. But when you're in it and you see the fear, but also the adrenaline, that made me go, actually, I maybe wouldn't mind giving that a go. Although I probably would hate it. (laughs) 
After this, they have a nice car building montage section. Louis is preparing his car for the big race. He's got a wrench. He's stripping interior, unscrewing lights while other people are doing more serious stuff. This is an intense bonding montage, I would say. I love that moment where you overhear Stevie say, oh, it would be good to get Louis up here doing some of this actual work on the car. And Kevin says, no, he's been doing that one headlight for about an hour. So we don't have time for that. And it is literally like a little child that's been given one thing to do to distract him. And the adults are actually doing all the real work. Then in the narration, Louis says that he's now worried about the pressure from Kevin and Stevie, who not only want him to compete, but they want him to do well. And at one point, Kevin says, is there a yellow streak up your back? Yeah, they tease him for being chicken. And Louis says he's not afraid of being a wimp. I really wanted him to say wimpo tours, but he didn't. I felt like he wanted to. Louis actually says here that he feels like Kevin is living out his demolition derby dream through Louis, which I think is a little bit of a leap considering he did it for 10 years and was actually good at it. That's some serious projection going on there. But then Stevie's obviously going to be competing in the derby as well. And Louis says that he's quite nervous, but Stevie says he's anxious, but he's not nervous. He's ready to get in the car and hit other cars. So he's quite excited. And then it's a nice comparison to have the two of them because obviously Stevie's done this a lot and he's in his grubby jumper and jeans and Louis wearing a full Formula One style boiler suit. (laughs) Yeah, so we are now at the Coshocton County Fair and it is race day. And Louis is going to get involved. He is actually going to compete. Bit of trivia about Coshocton County Fair. It's been in existence since 1851. This is from the website, coshoctoncountyfair.org. Bringing competition and enjoyment to the residents of the central Ohio community. Interestingly, the fair had been cancelled this year, 2020, because of the coronavirus pandemic. But since they have announced that they will go ahead with a full fair, it's scheduled for October 2020. Oh, God. And... I can only point you towards the Facebook comments underneath this post about how people are reacting to the idea that they have taken precautions for people's safety. It's still going ahead, though. What are they complaining about? They'll just get to catch coronavirus in October instead of June. Louis going through all his gear with Stevie. He's got elbow guards, a back protector. And Louis says, will people take it out on me because I've dressed all spiffy? (laughs) What is he, a Victorian gentleman? I've never heard someone describe their dress sense as spiffy. But then he really loses confidence quite quickly and describes himself as looking like a complete plonker. (laughs) It's a full red jumpsuit. It's red and white. It feels sort of like full Ferrari. I've said it looks like he's a 70s Formula One driver. Yeah, it's so Formula One. And he's got his helmet under his arm. (laughs) He looks like someone who takes scare electrics too seriously or something. But then they go to the driver's meeting and there's lots of guys in like Carhartt jackets and these are very blue collar working guys. (laughs) He's standing there dressed as a my first Formula One set. Also, he's the tallest one out of everyone so it's not like he could even just hide behind someone. And then actually the man who's reading out all of the rules singles him out in front of everyone else as well. The guy who's organising it is dressed a bit like a gym teacher. He's got a tracksuit on and a whistle round his neck. And his first words are, I'm out here to put on a show. I don't give a flying shit which one of you wins. (laughs) But he's setting out the rules and he says the red flag means stop. And then he says red like this guy's uniform over here. I mean, if this was high school, he would get so bullied. They get their helmets on. Everyone's one mode of safety is they've got their helmets and they'll be fine. And Louis and Stevie have a moment where they both butt helmets again, but for quite a long time. It's pretty cute. It's quite sweet. Louis has painted his own name, or maybe someone did it for him, but his name is painted on his helmet, which uh, is really nerdy. (laughs) 
and Louis gets in the car and Kevin's there giving him his last minute instructions through the window and Louis says, why am I doing this? To which Kevin replies, because you're a mean fighting machine. And then ACDC all night long kicks in and it's on. The demolition derby is on. Louis gets rammed, immediately does another fucking hell, I think. And then says in the narration, from the first hit, I knew it was going to be misery. He's living it though. He kind of drives into a wall. He gets warnings for driving into someone's door. He drives into Stevie's door, his teammate. Oh man, friendly fire. (laughs) But yeah, he's doing it. You get a lot of footage of him getting repeatedly hit by other cars. I can imagine exactly what it would be like when you just feel like you're stuck in a corner and just getting hit over and over again. Luckily, he gets through it and it comes to an end. And then without really realising what's happened, he's accidentally managed to get through the heat and he's in the feature. Nobody's ever been more upset to win something. This is where you see the stark difference between Louis and Stevie, because Stevie's also through, and Louis seems utterly terrified. He's properly whinging to Kevin, like a little boy, whereas Stevie's so, so excited. And it's sweet, because Stevie and Kevin are both really proud of Louis as well, but then Louis's just there like, oh no, I don't want to do it, I don't think I want to do it. Kevin's giving him this motivational speech, like, you've got to go in and do it, and then he says, oh, it wasn't really my cup of tea, which must just make him see like this weird British alien which has landed in the middle of the demolition derby. So Kevin and Stevie are adamant he's going to race it, but Louis just keeps saying no. They seem genuinely really disappointed. Yeah, I feel like Kevin morphs into a disappointed dance mom at this point, where he's just like really, really upset that Louis is going to betray him and not do it. But ultimately, he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. Question is, do you think he should have done it? I can understand why he didn't. I think he probably should have, but getting hit repeatedly like that, you could kind of see that he had a bit of a bad neck and stuff already. And I think that's probably his main reason why. I don't think it was because he was upset that he hadn't done better at it or anything like that. I think it was probably a health and safety thing. What do you think? For the sake of the documentary, the BBC are sending you out there with an extra $50 in your pocket in case you have to (laughs) buy a four-door sedan. I think he should have gone through with it partly up close the feature and you do see it up close this time is quite scary the cars are properly smashing into each other and all over each other so i totally get the instinct i don't know whether i just took on kevin's feelings because he is just so disappointed he says that louis has let the air out of my windbag yeah i think he probably thought that he'd inspired louis and he had put a lot of time into helping him do the car so yeah i'd be a bit bummed out as well it's kind of almost like he did half a job But for that half a job, he still gets a trophy. Exactly. And prize money. He goes into a kind of trailer, I think. And then there is a guy behind a desk who hands him his trophy, his own simulated marble, and gives him the money. And Stevie did go back and do the feature, obviously, because this is his thing that he likes to do. And actually, it did all get a bit intense for him. And you see footage of him jumping out of the car and there are firemen there with fire extinguishers. Like his car maybe was on the verge of going on fire and it had been rammed right up into the edge like onto a wall so that you couldn't drive it away so it was quite intense they had him trapped in the corner at one point and kevin points out they're just hitting him and then once they've both got their trophies and their prize money stevie and louis are comparing sore backs and which bits of them are more sore swapping war stories and then there's also a girl who's admiring stevie's trophy and louis says well i've got one as well he's really fishing for compliments Stevie literally got impaled on the side of the thing, whereas Louis chicken out of the feature. And they got the same trophy. 
In the narration, Louis says, I realised that however much I wanted to please Kevin and Stevie, self-preservation came first. And I suppose that reaction is real. It is how people feel. If I was in that situation, I'm not saying I would have definitely gone through with it. But there was part of me that thought, you have to see through the whole thing, surely. Mm -hmm. And Kevin is genuinely wounded. I don't think it's a show for the camera. He's trying to still be nice, but I think he's a little bit upset, which is a shame. But then the next day, Louis goes back to see them at the scrapyard and he does seem quite regretful. He says that he woke up and he regretted not going and doing the feature. I woke up this morning feeling like I wanted to run it again. Just shows hindsight. It's a beautiful thing with these sorts of things, really, isn't it? But it's funny because it's Stevie that he meets first and he tells all of this to Stevie. And then Kevin shows up and does the whole, oh, when did this guy get here? And Louis a little bit defensive when Kevin asks how he is. And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, don't hurt too badly. And Kevin says, quitters don't usually hurt too bad the next day. Oh. He's really uh, upset his dad. His big handed dad. And then in maybe the most poetic ending to a Louis Theroux documentary, his car, which is completely useless at this point, I think, gets crushed into tiny little pieces as they all watch. And Louis waves to it as it gets crushed. She's very sweet. And then Louis says, should we just stay here and enjoy the moment? And Kevin says, it's in car heaven now. Beautiful. I tried to find a bit of information about Kevin and Stevie. And Kevin, there's a message board called We Crash, dedicated to the Demolition Derby. He was the chair of the Holmes County Demolition Derby and was kind of promoting events on there. And then there is a Facebook post from 2018 about the Holmes County Fair, which is also in the state of Ohio, posted by a Steve Hanna. Stevie is clearly on Facebook. Did you slide into his DMs or? Very much planning to. Well, hopefully Kevin and Stevie are both well. I wonder if they forgave Louis. I wonder if Kevin ever got over it. I don't know. Maybe he got to rest his hand on his back one more time. Maybe he got to strangle him one more time. Stop writing the fan fiction, please. (laughs) Okay, so a very different episode to last episode. What did you make of this? Was it good Louis or bad Louis? This, for me, was good Louis. I went into this completely blind. I went into this as a subject I didn't particularly have an interest in and was totally won over. The Demolition Derby is quite dull, but the whole culture around it and the people involved in it are so interesting. And there is something so blue-collar American about this. And even the fact that it's quite difficult to track these guys down. Their achievements are on message boards or their snippets in a local paper. This really is a kind of underground hobby that is completely off the grid. This is proper weird weekends. You find out about a way of life that you have no knowledge of. And I felt really connected to loads of the people we meet. I really like John. I really like Kevin and Stevie. Less said about Rick, the better. (laughs) But it was a really good documentary, I thought. Yeah, I think it's good, Louis. And I think... Actually, even though I'm saying slightly jokingly that we don't know too much about these people and maybe they're terrible, really, in some ways it's better because I think there was a stage where we felt like every episode was coming back to the same themes. Like I remember you pointing out that it was always an argument about religion. And in this episode, there's none of that. These guys might be super religious, but we don't know it because their main passion is demolition derby and that's what we hear about. And there's no mad conflict that nobody can actually win because it's an opinion and I think that's good it's a really enjoyable episode and you yeah like you say you do learn about a different subculture that you or I know nothing about I don't think many people in the UK do demolition derby maybe I'm wrong 
And I think there's probably something quite significant about, you know, this was 1999 and the idea of deep South America and people of this background. White trash is a term that was thrown around a lot at the time. But this really humanizes people. You spend time in their garages and get to know their families and they seem very accepting and very decent people if you're decent to them. Knowing myself, I don't think I would. But watching Louis do this, I was like, I would give this a go, I think. Really? Yeah, I was that one over by it. I would maybe deliver some ice. I don't think I'm ready to go all in. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at allthroughpod. Angels on your bodies.